We are in the book of uh, Habakkuk, and people have continued to ask me what's the right way to pronounce it. I say just, yeah, say it as if like you're you're kind of choking on something, you know, you got to spit something out of, you know, like that. Or if you, you know, uh, just kind of want to do it that way, and but a little throaty. But a Habakkuk or Habakkuk, but it's okay. Um, either way, we're going to look at what he says today. Uh, and so this is our new series that we just began a couple of weeks ago, and it is called uh, For Real God, For Real, because that's how we approach God and, and often, and that's what we're going to see, because our prophet uh, Habakkuk is real, and he gets very real with God, and, and so that's, I think, a good way to sum it up, For Real God, because it's okay to question God in the chaos of life. It's okay to do that, and I think in and of itself, that's what, what makes it so beneficial to read this very short book uh, of just three chapters. You know, take us about eight weeks, like through the, the end of October, we'll be looking at Habakkuk. And uh, it's really important that, we, that we, we see that, that it's okay to be real with God. Because we all have times in, in our life when we struggle. And maybe that's not you today, and praise God for that. Maybe you're in a good place and you're walking closely with the Lord and things are going well because he is, he is giving you that, that season of rest. But we all know that life is made of the mountaintops and it's made of the valleys, right? And so that's okay. And so we don't want to wait for the next shoe to drop, but at the same time, we understand that there will be trials and there will be tribulations and difficulties in life. So, and perhaps you walk through these doors today and you're like, yes, I'm right in the midst of that. Well, this book is also for you because either way, this book is made for us. Yes, written to specifically uh, the people of, of Israel, specifically Judah, the southern kingdom at the time. If you remember at some point early on in the history of the the the, the Hebrews that they're kingdom divided because of poor leadership and disobedience. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so that is what specifically we're seeing Habakkuk, just sort of an overview again, that he is a prophet that is um, having this conversation with God and he's then bringing it to the people. Uh, This is the time that's after the Assyrian Empire took the northern tribes of Israel into captivity. And just before the people of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, comes and takes the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity. So Habakkuk is right in between that. So he saw what happened to his northern brothers and sisters. And he, God is saying, this is what's going to happen to you because of disobedience Habakkuk, you want judgment on your people because of all the depravity and immorality? Here's what's going to happen. If you remember from last time, God says, I'm going to use the Babylonians, those depraved, um, just uh, depraved people that were all about uh, greed and warfare and violence. And because Habakkuk had a real problem with that. And he questioned God on that. And then God answered him and said, here's what I'm going to do. Do you remember that from last week? God said, Even if I told you, you still wouldn't believe me. That was sort of our theme from last week. But then he tells them, and God gives them a direct answer. Well, I'm going to use the Chaldeans, your Bible might say, or the Babylonians, same people. And then he goes on to describe how bad they are. And so this, today, in this passage, it's Habakkuk chapter 1, it's verses 12 
to the end and verse 1 of chapter 2 is is where we're going to end. These just short few verses. We see Habakkuk's second complaint. Now he comes back to God because God says, here's the answer to your first complaint. And Habakkuk says, okay, now I got something else, uh, a problem. But there is something very unique about what he does today. It's in verse uh, verse 12 of chapter 1. And it's the first verse we're going to read in just a minute. And that's going to be the crux of what we look at. Okay, so quite an interesting passage today. But really Habakkuk has this big issue with God because what we're going to see is God begins to tell Habakkuk after the second complaint in our passage today. He begins to tell him, the prophet, and he says, look, this is what I'm doing, right? I'm bringing the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk says to actually back to God, like, okay, so it's going to be this bad that you're going to use these people to come as like just fishermen do and scooping up uh, just uh, just thousands of fish in their nets. We're going to be like the fish God caught up in their nets and they're going to have all this success in coming and just and just and just you know just overwhelming us and taking us into captivity and that's what it's going to be like. And Habakkuk has a real problem, a real issue with that. And so here's what it sounds like. Habakkuk is basically saying, God, it sounds like the, 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 the cure is worse than the disease. It sounds like the solution is worse than the problem. Did you ever like when you're watching TV, you see the commercials for uh, the, the new um, drugs and medicines that come out? And, uh, and they, they kind of just paint this beautiful picture of what the medicine can do. And I'm, I'm sure it can do that. And then I guess by law, they have to give this disclaimer, right? I remember back in the day, it used to be real fast, and they would talk real fast and quiet, but I think they had to change that. So, so they'll have the, the voiceover person will say, you know, th- this ABC drug is so wonderful, and here's what it's going to do for you. But please do not take this drug if you're allergic to it or any of the ingredients in it, or um, if, uh, you, you know, you don't want to take it if um, you're a man or a woman, if you're young or old, right? You don't want to take it. Uh, you know, if, if, if you think it might kill you, don't take it because it may lead to, to death and all these things, right? And then at the end, it's like, and it tells you the, the name of the drug again. And then you, you finish watching and you're just like, why on earth would I take that? You know, because it seems like all of the side effects would be so much worse than, than how it's going to cure this one issue that I have. And we know there can be side effects to, to medicine, and, but it's just kind of like it's a silly example, but something I think we all can, can, can be in tune to because we look at those things and we say, okay, you know, we, we realize why they're doing it, what they have to do, and, and these things could happen. But it kind of turns us off to it, right? And we're just like, man, it just seems like the solution they're providing is going to be so much worse than the actual issue that I have. And that's how Habakkuk is approaching God. He's saying, God, you're choosing to use these, these despicable people, the Babylonians, to bring judgment on Judah for disobedience. And I know, God, that our disobedience as a people is bad, but really? Like, for real, God, the Babylonians? Like, that's so much worse. How could that be your plan? See, isn't that just like us, though, that we ask God for an answer and he reveals somehow his answer to our prayer and then we say, we don't like that answer, God. Because there's no way that could be the answer. It's not the right timing, and it's not the right way. You're not using the right people. I'm not getting enough of this or that. And that's where Habakkuk is today. That's his issue. 
Now, we know that we can make our situations worse, but God, really, like God would do that? Because remember last week we talked about this idea of being nearsighted, of making decisions in life just based upon what we can see immediately around us. And God says, I'm already doing something. I'm doing something you can't even understand. Even if I told you, you wouldn't understand it, but will you trust me? And so if we don't keep our focus on our God, what will happen is we will quickly see our situation through the wrong lens, just being nearsighted, just the lens of our circumstances. You know, one of the beautiful things about the joy in the Lord is that it is so different from happiness. You've ever heard that? That joy is not based on our circumstances. Our happiness is based on the circumstances around us, but true joy in the Lord, that's there, that's fixed, no matter what's going on around us. But see, that's a simple truth that we need to be reminded of. But, you know, we do our share of complaining, just like Habakkuk does. We worry about things. I mean, we all watch the news or we, we watch our news feed or, or we, you know, we go on, online or whatever it is that we do. I'm going through this, um, one of these things in our podcast this week where the challenge is the first thing we do in the morning when we wake up, don't open your phone and look through the news feed or to look at Instagram or Facebook because we know we all do it, right? How about the first thing we do is we open the Word of God? I mean, we all have like a Bible app. And so it's just a really simple challenge, but I've been doing that. The first day, I completely forgot because I'm, I'm not in that habit. And so I'm scrolling through the news. I'm like, why do I feel so bad? Oh, right. I can look at God. You know, so you're in your bed and you're looking and, and you're looking at your phone. And so how about the first thing we do is just read a short devotional. Even if it takes two minutes or five minutes, you read the Word of God because that's the way we start the day. And then, of course, you're going to go about your day. You're going to start looking at what's going on in the world. You check in the scores for the games of the night before, and, and you're looking at the news and what's happening and the ongoing saga in Washington and all that. And you know what? We look at it, and can't we get really depressed and frustrated and sometimes angry? No matter where you fall in, in any particular situation or issue, we look around and we say, God, how could this be your plan? That our country, that our world, that my job has been like this. We, we talked about how you can have somebody, maybe an employer or a boss that's, that's doing something that's maybe immoral or even illegal or something and they're just getting away with it and nobody's noticing but you're noticing and you're doing the right thing. Remember that was the backup. He was like, God, I'm righteous. I'm doing the right thing and look what's going on around me. How can this be right? But here's the problem, church. I mean, we look around, we see other people prospering, and it's not us. Man, I see all these people prospering. They don't deserve it, God. How are these undeserving people becoming so successful? We see, God doesn't call us to success. He calls us to faithfulness. And in our faithfulness, we will be successful because God will make it so. How do you define success in life? It needs to start with the Word of God and who God is. And so this morning, we're going to see just in verse 12 of this passage, Habakkuk stops, and before he complains, he realizes, okay, I know who God is, and he proclaims it. But then he goes on to complain. But see, he goes back to listen to what he knows. To what he knows. I mean, we are so prone today to worship whatever might make us rich and successful, but are we focusing on our faithfulness because of who God truly is 
and who we are in his sight. I mean, that's of course what we do, right? And that's a back situation. The Babylonians, it seems like they're going to be rewarded for their depravity. And so he describes them like, like, like fishermen coming and, and catching all these great fish, having the best catch, uh, catch of the whole season. And yet, it seems like, well, they're going to be rewarded for their depravity, God. And so let's look at that. Let's look at what it says today. So this is Habakkuk chapter 1. It's verses 12 all the way through chapter 2, verse 1. All right? So this is his second complaint. But please just focus. um, I want you to focus uh, on just verse 12. We're going to read it all. But verse 12, just notice how he starts. And then he gets into his, his issue with God. Okay? He says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, the Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of pure eyes, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. And for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net? And mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So before we move on, I just want to give a snapshot of what's happening here so we're all on the same page. So in verse 12, Habakkuk first, before he does anything, he recognizes the truth about who God is. And what his word says. And then 13 to 17, he, he kind of uses this uh, illustration of the Babylonians as these great fishermen coming to, um, to swallow up the people of Judah who are more righteous than them. He says, we're, we're going to be like the fish of the sea, like crawling things, like that's what we mean to you, God, that you're going to let the Babylonians take us over. He describes them as like the Babylonians bringing all of them up like fish in a hook and, or like drags them with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet and he rejoices and is glad, meaning the Babylonians are rejoicing. Wow, look at how successful we are in war and, and taking over the people of Judah. And, and then Habakkuk says, this is what it's going to lead to, God. So then they're going to sacrifice to their net and make offerings to his dragnet. Remember last time we... We said that their God was themselves. It was their success, their own strength. So he's saying, God, you're going to take these conceited people and you're going to puff them up even more. Because they're going to be successful and, and they're going to even sacrifice and make offerings to their nets as their gods and be like, look how good we are. For by those nets, they're going to live in luxury and their food be rich and they're going to be rewarded for what they're doing. And then he says in verse 17, so this is the way it's going to be, God, for real, that, 
they're going to just keep emptying their nets, like catching all of us and bring us into captivity and being just mercilessly killing nations forever. Do you ever feel like that? Like God brings you into a season and you just can't seem to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel? You're in that valley and you just can't look up at the, at the mountaintop and you're saying, well, I guess this is it forever. This is my lot in life. I guess I'm going to be like this forever. Because sometimes it does feel like forever when we look at it through the lens of our own circumstances and being so nearsighted and forgetting about who God is. So then at the end he says, okay, I've had my peace with God. I said my, my say. Now I'm going to wait and see what he has to say. And then I'll figure out what my next complaint is. That's what he says. But here's what I want to look at, church, especially just verse 12. I mean, Habakkuk really has two alternatives. Now that God has, has revealed his plan, he can allow his doubts to either bring destruction on himself, to bring him down, or to lift it up, or to be you know, created in more like lifting himself up, to be a positive or a negative. He can use his doubts and his struggles and his wrestling to turn from God and renounce his faith, or he can hold tight onto God and trusting him more for an answer and pressing in. See, church, this is the great truth here in this passage is that when we face any kind of situation in life, we really have two alternatives as believers, don't we? We're either going to take what's happening and say, well, I guess God has forgotten about me. And we will turn and walk away from God. How many times have we done that or heard people say that? Well, look at what God has done, so I guess he's not real. I guess he's forgotten about me. He doesn't care about me. All these people around me are being so successful, and yet they're not, they don't even believe in God. Or we can take our difficult situation and we can press harder into God. And we can lean into Him even more. We can lean into Him and say, God, I need you more. I don't understand what's going on. I don't want to move away from you. I'm so tempted because I'm so frustrated with you, God, but I just know that I need to lean into you because of who you are. And there's our main point. See, we can often judge a book by its cover, can't we? I mean, people decide who God is based upon what they see around them. Even as believers having the Word of God, we still do that. We'll say, yeah, I know what you say in your Word, God, but look at what's going on around me. Therefore, you must be like. That is how the majority of the world around us defines God. You realize that? They define God up here. They hear a little bit of the Bible, a little bit of other religions, and most of it just based upon their own experiences and circumstances. And they say, well, God must be like this. I see all of this chaos and turmoil in the world, in my country, in my government, in my work, in my own life, in my physical self, in all my issues. So therefore, God must not be loving and God must be distant. See, that's how we define God if we don't go back to look at how he defines himself. See, the very word of God is his revelation to us, church. He reveals himself to us. Just think about that for a second. The God of the universe, who created all of what we see around us, he chose to reveal himself to us, that we might have an intimate relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. 
I mean, in and of itself, that is just mind-blowing. And so he reveals himself to us. So when we open the pages of Scripture, he says who he is. And other people give testimony to it. He sent his son to give testimony to who the Father is. That's what Jesus did. He came to offer the kingdom to the people of Israel, God's chosen people, because God had promised it. God's a promise keeper. In this verse, this first verse we're going to look at, there's at least five things that we see about the nature and character of God. See, Habakkuk doesn't start by just complaining. He realizes, wait, I do know a little bit about God. Let me start with that. Before I start making decisions on what's going on in my life and how bad the Babylonians are and how bad God is to, to let these depraved people do their thing, Let me just first start with what I do know. See, that's how we get into trouble, don't we? We address any kind of situation not with what we do already know about God, but we make up our own minds about God based upon the the circumstances. See, and that's backwards. So here's what I believe that it says at least in in verse 12. I'll read it again. We're going to pick out five things that we know about God that Habakkuk reminds us. Because it says in verse 12, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them, meaning the Babylonians, as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. First, I think we need to be mindful of this. That instead of wallowing in what we don't know, let's start with what we do know. We do know who God is, so let's start by looking at every situation through that lens of Scripture. Who is God? Because Scripture says that He's unchanging. God never changes. So the God who got you through your trouble five years ago, He's the same God today. You might have a different problem, but He's the same God making the same promises. See, and that's what will get us through. That's the different lens to look at. So first we see in verse 12 that God is eternal. He says from everlasting, he says, okay, God, he's not questioning is this true. He's reminding himself, all right, aren't you, didn't you say that you are from everlasting? So he is eternal. What does it mean that God is eternal? What does it mean that he is eternal? It, 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 uh, Habakkuk says everlasting. I mean, our God is eternal. Habakkuk is really looking at it like the Babylonian gods, even them looking at themselves as gods, they're just mortal. They, they might be powerful now and successful now, but they're immortal. When their life ends on earth, their life ends. God, our God, the one true God, he is eternal. Remember what it says in the Gospels? In the beginning, in the beginning was... The word, right? In the beginning, like from the beginning. When was the beginning? When was the beginning, right? God is eternal. Now, I know it's hard for us to to wrap our minds around that, but God always has been and always will be. God does not have a beginning nor an end. And that's why I said last week, see, he is God and we're not, right? We have a beginning, we have an end when it comes to here on earth. But isn't it beautiful is one of the things we know about us that we are eternal, Because it's our connection with God through our spirit, right? That new life that we will live eternally. His word is eternal also. But see, it says God is eternal. That's what Habakkuk is saying. 
He's saying that the Babylonians, like they're mortal, even the God of this age. So our enemy Satan is, told, is, is described many times as the God of this age. You remember when, when I went through the whole story of Scripture a while back, just reminding us of how that all works out in, in God's plan and purpose, that at the very beginning, going all the way back to the garden, God had everything, it was perfect, and God had this plan. See, and Adam and Eve were going to be his ambassadors, the ones who were going to have dominion over the earth with all of, of their offspring, see? But what did Satan do? He came in and he disrupted that plan. He usurped authority over this earth from Adam and Eve. And so that's why he is now called the God of this age, of this earth. Now, we also, remember, we talked about, we went through um, the justification. We looked at this idea of God being righteous and holy, that he is universally sovereign. So even though he might have allowed our enemy to have control over this world now... God is still nonetheless universally sovereign. So it is all done as God allows it to be so. But we also know how it's going to end because it wouldn't be forever because God had promised a redeemer right then and there at the beginning of the story. So I bring that up to say this, that even though we have an enemy that we fight on that spiritual plane each and every day, we know that God is victorious because our God is eternal And that victory is already won. The enemy is already defeated. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. What a a great picture. Isn't that awesome? You want to write that in your notes, right? Psalm 90 verse 2. He's saying before you created anything, before you even formed the, the earth and, and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, no beginning, no end, you are God. How about that for a statement? You are God. He is eternal. That leads us into the next one. In verse 12, he says, are you not from, from everlasting? O Lord, my God. Now, if you know, when you look at your Bibles, right, the word Lord can be spelled two different ways. If it's all capitals, then it refers to what we see here. In your, in your Bibles, it should be, um, in verse 12, it should be, O Lord, my God, the Lord should be capitalized. Because what that represents is the Hebrew word for God that they do not pronounce, Yahweh. So it's four con- consonants put together. And when we've added the, the vowels for our sake, it's Yahweh. But it, it, it's, it shows his aspect of being self-existent, do you remember uh, what he said to, uh, to Moses back in Exodus 3, verse 14? You remember when he calls Moses to go back to Pharaoh and the, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptians, they let my people go, and Moses says, who, who's going to, uh, who should I say sent me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. That's his name for himself, I am. Just, he is self-existent. He is. He always has been. He is now. He always will be. That is another, that's the second aspect and attribute of God that I see, that he is eternal and he is self-existent. Nobody created him. And there is no end to God. This is a truth about God that should bring us joy and comfort. Even though we can't quite describe it or understand it or explain it, God is self-existent. He says, I am who I am. 
That's all the explanation that you need. We also see that he is holy. He says, are you not from everlasting? That's eternal. Oh, Lord, my God, this self-existent one. He says, my holy one. What does it mean to be holy? Set apart. Pure, perfect, set apart. Now, we as believers are to pursue holiness and seek holiness. We will never attain that, this side of heaven, but that should be our desire. But yet, positionally, before God, we are now considered justified and righteous and holy and anointed because of the blood of Christ and because of nothing else. So that's why we are told the gospel of grace is that we receive that gift of salvation through the blood of Christ by faith. We are saved by grace, his grace, through faith. We do it in Christ and in him alone. So we are to pursue holiness, but in this life as we live out our faith, but we are called holy. God says, be holy because I am holy. So God is holy. It means he is perfect. He is set apart. He is the best one to have in your corner whenever you're going through a struggle or a trial. 1 John 1, five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's a good definition of holiness. That God is pure light and in him there's not even an ounce or a speck of darkness. Not at all. God is pure and perfect and holy. You see what Habakkuk's doing? Even though he's going to have this real time with God, he's going to get real again and complain How successful the Babylonians are in going. God's going to let them be even more so. He says, let me get back to what I do know first. Okay? Before I keep complaining, let me just not go on the basis of what I see about to happen. Let me start with what I do know. Here's what I know about God. God, you are eternal. Thank you for that. You are Lord. You are the self-existent one. You always have been. You always will be. And you are holy. You are perfect. Nobody else is perfect. How about next? And then he says, we shall not die. I'll get to that in a minute. He says, O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment in you, O rock. He calls them his rock. Do you trust that your God is your rock? What does it mean that he is our rock? I think it means he's powerful. We think of a rock like the sheer weight in magnitude and power of, of what a rock can do if it's unleashed, right? I mean, in, in, in Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined, he heard my cry. The, the psalmist is talking about it at a time of in distress. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the mire and clay. And then what did he do? He set my feet on a rock and he made my footsteps firm. See, that's what God does. He, he sees us in distress. He rescues us. And then he sets our feet firm on a rock of sure foundation. See, Habakkuk is saying, God, you're the rock. It, it, even though everything around me is chaotic, everything around me, I can't understand what's going on in our country, in our world, and in my life, and with, with my body. God, I'm getting older. I don't like it. Things are starting to break. Things are starting to, to, to not work right. And God, what is, what is going on? Thank you, brother, for that amen. Thank you. I knew I'd get an amen from, from the front row. We know it, right? But yet we bring it to God and we said, yet God, 
You are our rock. Even when our feet may fail, which I know a lot about, boy, we have a rock in our God. He is our firm foundation. You see, what's happening is Habakkuk is about to see something really terrible happen to his people. It's going to be completely unnerving. And he's saying, okay, I need to stay, even in my questioning, I need to stay grounded on what I do know about my God. And he is an all-powerful rock, right? Stand on the rock who makes your footsteps firm. Psalm 62, 6 through 7. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Isn't that beautiful and powerful? That's the God that we know about. That's the God who revealed himself to us in his word. No matter what's going on in your life, this is still true. See, our circumstances don't change these truths. That he is eternal, he is self-existent, that he is holy, and that he is a rock. And then finally... We see he is faithful because he is a God who makes promises. Habakkuk says, we shall not die. You know why he says that? It's not a question mark after that. It's a statement, we shall not die. Because it seems like the Babylonian horde is going to come in and conquer them and destroy them and kill them. But he says, wait, no. You have set them apart for discipline, not destruction. Discipline, not destruction. Though God may discipline us and it might hurt, He will not destroy us. See, God is a covenant God. And in the context of this, we see that God had made a covenant with the people of Israel, right? Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, His covenant people. It is an unconditional covenant. God said, I will be the one to take care of this. No matter what happens with the Jews and their obedience or disobedience, that original covenant, covenant to keep them as a holy people set apart for himself to give them a land and to prosper them that is unconditional god says no matter what that will happen i will keep my promise there's promises in there that god still has yet to keep we look forward to that when he returns to set up his kingdom and see we see that because there were promises that will he will fulfill there to his people but we can look at this and glean for ourselves and say god is a faithful promise keeper and habakkuk says we won't die it's going to be terrible it's going to be terrible but this will not lead to our destruction so let me stand on the firm rock god will discipline but not destroy psalm 33 verse 4 for the word of the lord is upright And all his work is done in faithfulness. What a great summation of that truth. The word of the Lord is upright. So what he says about himself in the Bible is upright and true and good and perfect. And all his work is done in that faithfulness. So everything he does, listen church, everything he's doing, even if it seems like he's doing nothing, he's doing it out of faithfulness and as a promise keeper. Because God doesn't all of a sudden become not a promise keeper. He doesn't all of a sudden forget who he is. He says, I am who I am, right? And, And he is a faithful, faithful promise keeper. We need to be careful of bad theology today. I simply just mean this. Theology is the study of God, okay? That's simply how you define theology. 
we might think, oh, that's, there's theologians and they're, and they're looking at everything and research. And yeah, and, and, people, and theologians, right, have spent, you know, countless hours and centuries and millennia just studying God. But you know what? Bad theology is when we don't turn to the scriptures and see how God revealed himself to us. There is such evident truth that nobody can dispute that you don't need to be a, a scholar to figure out. God reveals it. He says, I'm the rock. I am who I am, and, and I'm holy, and I'm everlasting. These are things that, that we can latch onto as we press into God in our difficult circumstances instead of running away from him. Just think about that. If we were to run from God because we don't like what we think that he's doing or not doing, do you think it's going to get any better as we turn away from God? Because, again, if he is holy and he is self-existent, then he is the best one to press into, the best one to have in our corner. A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, beware of bad theology, which means when you start to, to, um, to come up with an idea about who God is based upon your circumstances rather than his word. That's when we get into trouble. So what we think about God is that most important thing. And that's where we start. So we've got to be careful that we're not misinterpreting what he says or falling into that laziness of bad theology where we're just basing our idea of God on things other than the truth of Scripture itself. It's not about what we think or what we feel. It's about who he is and who he says he is. So Habakkuk went back to the truth. That's how he started this. And then, yes, he went on to complain. We see what he did. Now, we might not understand what's going on in the world around us, but do we understand who God is? I say that again. We might not understand all that's going on in our life or in our world, but do we understand who God is? Because that's what's most important, and that's where we start. But then look at, finally, how does he end this passage? It's, it's actually chapter 2, verse 1. How does he end this particular conversation with God? I will take my stand at, wa- at my watch post. I'll station myself on the tower, and I'll look out to see what he will say to me. How about that? You know what he's saying? He said, all right, God, I reminded myself of who you are. I had my time of complaint. I said my piece. Now I'm going to wait. Now I'm going to wait and see what your response is, God. Is that the way we approach God? We come to him in prayer. And then we say, okay, God, not my will, but your will. And let me wait. Give me the patience. The patience to wait on your answer. He might answer you immediately. It might take 10 years for him to answer prayer. But what is that time to God, the self-existent one? So are we willing to wait and be patient? Because that's what Habakkuk says. He says, all right, God, I've had, I've had my say. Now I'm just going to stand. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and watch. He says he like pictures himself on a watchtower. I'm going to watch. Isn't that a good visual too? He's not going to like just say forget about who God is. He's going to watch and wait and see what God is doing. That is like expectant prayer. God is going to do something. Here, God, here is how I want you to answer my prayer. I don't know if that's what you're going to do, but I have to trust that what you do and and when you do it is perfect because you're perfect and you're holy and you're my rock. And so therefore, I'm going to wait 
But I'm going to wait like I'm on the watch. I'm going to wait expectantly and wait to see how you answer this, God. Because I have to believe that no matter how you answer it, it's going to be good. It's going to be good for me. It's going to be the best for me because of your love for me. You know, there's this song that we learned recently, and it's, it's, it's this song that is sort of our theme song for this, this, um, uh, this whole book and this series, you know, called Yes, I Will, right? In the beginning of that song, it says, In the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. Yes, you're working all things out. So in that waiting is when we are obedient and faithful. So we pray. We have our time with God. We might struggle with God. We might wrestle with God and question God in the chaos of life. But then we lay it all before him and say, okay, God, that's all I got. But as I wait, I'm going to be obedient and faithful. Because in that waiting, you're the same God who's never late. Think about that. God's never late. God's never late. Because he's working all things out. Remember he told Habakkuk, like, I already got a plan. I'm already working on it. So instead of turning away from God, turn towards him. Why? Because you know him. Press into him. Lean into him and ask him why. Tell him you know he's trustworthy. He's holy. He's almighty. And then wait. Instead of turning away from God, turn towards Him. Why? Because you know Him. You know who He is. He's that God that never fails. That God that saved you once, that, that has given you new life. That God that, that got you out of that jam, whatever it was. He's the same God today. He might do it in a different way. He might take longer. But He's the same God because He's the self-existing One and, and the Holy One. So just press into him and, and lean into him. It's okay to ask him why, but then you tell him and you proclaim the truth of who he is back to him. God, you are trustworthy. You are holy. You are my rock. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on you. Walk in the small steps of obedience and faith while you wait on him for your answer. That's what Habakkuk says he's going to do. He says, I'm going to wait, God. I'm going to position myself like on a tower. And I'm going to be expectant that you're going to answer this prayer somehow, at some point. But until then, I'm going to stand on this rock. That's you. I'm going to stand on the truth about who you are. You have revealed yourself to me, God. I might not know and be confused about what's going on in my life. But what I do know for sure is who you are. And that's where we should start. Amen.